Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Capsule. Here we open the capsule on several health conditions and concerns that may help you gain knowledge to better your well-being. How's it going, Nan? Not too bad. Uh, so today we got our first guest speaker. Um, yeah, his name is Paul. He's one of the pharmacists and now a leading expert in medicinal cannabis. Um, so I'll let him introduce himself. Good morning. Um, my name is Paul. I'm a pharmacist. I'm Perth, Western Australia, born and bred. I've been a pharmacist for 30 years and specialise mainly in retail pharmacies. I've owned five different retail pharmacies over the year, uh, but lately my passion's turned to medicinal cannabis and I've been specialising in that in the last four years. Mm, awesome. So how did you go from being just a pharmacist to being an expert? Um, well, I came across some really interesting data about four years ago that showed the huge harms that pharmaceutical opioids are causing uh, compared to medicinal cannabis. At the time, I considered cannabis as a dangerous a highly addictive street drug of no medicinal value. Uh, but once I started looking to it a lot more, I found that it had these really great medical uses. And I really approached it initially as a skeptic, thinking that this is wrong. How can this dangerous, highly addictive drug be uh, so relatively safe? But it, it turns out it's relatively uh, impossible. I wouldn't say. Um, yeah, it can never happen because strange things happen in, in medicine, but uh, you have to eat something like a ton of cannabis in order to overdose, uh, whereas there's this massive toll of death um, from overdose from uh, pharmaceutical opioids that as a health professional, I felt partly responsible for. Uh, we sell a lot of in the pharmacy, particularly to elderly and vulnerable, chronically ill patients. So I started looking to a lot of the medical uses and the research, and my wife and I I started this journey together. We attended a um, cannabis science conference in the US and I I joke about it, but I expected to find a bunch of fire-twirling you know, hippie dreadlocked stoners <laughs> and in fact, instead found a whole bunch of scientists that um, spurred my knowledge on even more. And there's some really interesting um, science behind this that uh, will come to become general knowledge I believe in the future and some of the research going on uh, I think you'll see a lot lot more of that's good so I guess the most common question that people will start asking is what's the difference between medicinal cannabis and like the street drugs well medicinal cannabis is formulated in such a way that it treats a specific condition and uh, recreational cannabis is there to get high. Now, most of the forms of medicinal cannabis in Australia are in what's known as uh, concentrates. They're, they're presented in a pharmaceutical form, like an oil or a capsule. Uh, they've been standardised. Uh, they've still got the full plant extract ingredients in there, uh, but they've been standardised, so it's the same from dose to dose. And often patients are getting uh, trace amounts or what we'd like to call microdoses of the medicine over a period of time, and they're getting good clinical benefit without the um, psychotropic effects. Okay. So you've briefly told us what it is. In terms of uses and effectiveness, is that something that you're finding is a bit more... Uh, ongoing with research that's right yeah well it's a moving target there's four main areas where there's good clinical evidence that medical cannabis is a benefit uh, the biggest one being chronic pain and we're finding 70 to 80 percent 
of patients accessing it in Australia at least, um, but probably globally, are using it for chronic pain conditions compared to opioids. Um, it's got good uses in um, drug-resistant epilepsy, and we've got some great drugs we sell in pharmacies for epileptic patients, but about 30 to 40% of those patients, none of those drugs work, and a significant portion of that cohort of patients are getting um, either greatly reduced seizures or seizure-free from using medicinal cannabis. One of the other um, uses is nausea in cancer-related chemotherapy. Uh, there's an old, everyone jokes about how cannabis gives you the munchies, but in this instance, um, cannabis is proving effective to helping patients that, um, that have nausea. And, and whilst it, once again, there's other drugs that help vomiting and nausea. Um, but speaking to some of these patients, that nothing helps that low-level metallic-like tongue uh, quite like the, the cannabis dosing. Um, and the last one is multiple sclerosis. And some of these patients have nighttime spasticity, have problems sleeping, uh, they're also in chronic pain, and medicinal cannabis in most of those patients seems to be helping their symptoms. And this is backed up by um, clinical trials. The, uh, let, let me probably expand upon that. So that's where we're at at the moment. There's four main conditions, but there's a number of other really exciting areas, I believe, uh, that will come out in the very near future. And there's trials happening um, around Australia. There's something like 35 clinical trials at the moment and in areas that you'll see a lot more of, um, such as PTSD, uh, dementia, um, irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, there's a lot of anecdotal cases and we really do need to separate fact from fiction and work out exactly what cannabis is capable of compared to, um, compared to a, say, a placebo sort of um, trial. We, we really need um, those clinical trials so doctors can write prescriptions. Yeah. Um, so for people who doesn't know what is like medicinal cannabis or cannabinoid, how, how does that work inside your body to trigger all that effect or benefits? Well, um, there was a system studied in, in um, um, identified in our body in the mid-90s called the endocannabinoid system. And the same thing, when I, I first heard of this system, I, I was sceptical. Um, but it was uh, identified in the mid-90s, and it's only just starting to be scored, taught in medical school now. Um, I know I was never taught, taught it, but... Um, um, there's some receptors in our body that medicinal cannabis work on and they um, are thought to mimic natural chemicals in our body that work on this system like anandamide and 2-AG that the body produces. And this system is responsible for um, pain, immune system, as well as appetite, which explains a lot about what cannabis does. Um, so cannabis is mimicking natural chemicals in our body in the same way as um, opioids do um, uh, work on, on receptors in our body. Cool. So there, it's, well, there is a stigma amongst cannabis. Um, how would you compare that to the addiction to the street drug, but also to, say, addiction to opioids, because that's a big one? Well, that, that well. was something that really surprised me as well because um, I, I pulled some data and cannabis is low on the addiction scale. There's um, drugs like heroin, which are highly addictive, uh, and it's cousin methadone, but you've got perfect legal drugs like alcohol and tobacco 
that are twice as addictive as cannabis. And and one thing that really surprised me, I'm not a coffee drinker, uh, is cannabis is less addictive than caffeine. So it is relatively low on the scale. And anecdotally, a couple of patients have been able to um, go off it, uh, abstain or go cold turkey uh, without any problems. So it's not the big sort of demon we're made out to be. So, um, uh, but that being said, it is, you know, has... Um, Nothing is 100% safe and everything. Uh, I think under the, the supervision of a health professional, you, know, you can certainly manage it. Yep. Is it true that alcohol is more addictive than medicinal cannabis? Oh, it's twice as addictive, yeah. yeah. I've got the data to prove it. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think I attended a conference not long ago and then they mentioned that, but I haven't managed to find I'll show you the. I'll show you the data. It's, right. it's fascinating and... Um, uh, alcohol is responsible for a lot of social harm. Uh, cannabis is less so. And there's, there's states, um, studies that have come through now, like um, Colorado, where they have shown a decrease in alcohol-related harm simply because patients recreationally um, are swapping out um, alcohol for cannabis. And uh, it is less harmful uh, in some ways. Um, so you said there's quite a few study that done in terms of efficacy of the uh, medicinal cannabis. So uh, when when do they start um, researching into it, and are are those study like really strong study or just like small population kind of thing? Sure. Um, there's, a, there's a number of um, studies. As I said, there's 35 studies happening around Australia. Um, they range from um, observational studies to randomised clinical trials. And when you look, consider that cannabis has been banned largely for the last 80 years and scientists haven't been able to do a lot of this research, uh, we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go that um, there's only these four areas. There's lots of claims of what cannabis can do. I, I'm naturally sceptical um, to begin with until I see the evidence, but they do need to do the robust clinical trials. Uh, the four areas I've previously mentioned, there's randomised clinical trials to back them up. And there was a really good publication that came out in January 2017 by the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine that looked at all clinical evidence um, and studies on cannabis and found there was conclusive or substantial evidence for those four conditions. Uh, there wasn't in a bunch of other areas, um, but that may be because they haven't done the clinical trial yet. Um, it wasn't proven either way whether it was effective or not. Um, but they, they worked out for those four areas that, um, that I previously mentioned that there was um, substantial evidence in the form of uh, randomised clinical trials. And um, there's a number of ongoing clinical trials that you'll see uh, the results come out in the, the near future. Yeah. And um, is there any side effects with medicinal cannabis? Like every medication sure, have yeah. side effects. So what, what are the common ones? Um, the common ones, um, generally we're seeing when patients take too much of a dose, but they might be, they're pretty minor things like dry mouth or red eyes. Occasionally if people are on... Um, um, too great a dose they might get psychotropic effects um, but typically if they're getting that the, the dose is too much and they can um, roll it back but they, they um, avert this by, by starting low and going slow starting with a very small dose and titrating upwards cool alrighty so how can patients access medicinal cannabis um, is there is it quite expensive at the moment or is it at an affordable sort of rate or 
Sure. So the best place to access it is your health professional, either your GP or specialist. Um, I want to state probably for the record that all, pretty much all the conditions that cannabis is used for is not a first-line treatment. So if you uh, haven't tried other um, drug or other treatment options, you may need to explore those first before your GP or specialist might recommend medicinal cannabis. Um, in the case of pain, there's a, n- a number of other pain medications that you might want to explore first. Um, the doctor or specialist will apply to the federal government. Uh, in some cases, state approval might be needed, but we've, we've seen that change over the last few years from being a, a two-month process um, to write down uh, to a, a one page online form and we've seen some applications come through as fast as three minutes uh, which is great because as I said most of the patients trying to access this are chronically ill um, in many cases elderly patients who have tried a number of other treatment options unsuccessfully so this is some cases their their last resort treatment and prices have come down considerably of late Uh, we've seen uh, a lot more patients um, taking medicinal cannabis it's grown from 300 in the first year to uh, around about 20,000 patient approvals this year so we're seeing um, a lot more products on the market it's grown from um, none to I think in excess of 40 different products on the market um, for for patients and we're starting to see subsidies from workers compensation and motor vehicle uh, department of veterans affairs and some private health funds start to subsidize patients medical cannabis and one really exciting thing is some of the state government hospitals are starting to pay for some patients medicinal cannabis because they've seen it uh, um, prove a benefit when all other treatment options have failed and these patients have got no other options and Uh, particularly in the areas of drug resistant epilepsy, it seems to be working and keeping patients out of hospital and seizure-free in some cases. Do you see uh, medicinal cannabis will come on PBS anytime soon? It won't be soon. Uh, The PBS process uh, is about three to four years away. They need robust clinical trials. there's a bit of a problem here that um, cannabis, the nature of it, it's been around for a while. It's, it, uh, it's very difficult to patent. So most of these studies are backed up by clinical trials that cost you know, um, millions of dollars to do. But without a patent on a copyright uh, on a product, it might be difficult to get some of these trials across the line. And um, that's something the industry is working through at the moment. But it, it will happen. Um, I think in the short term, there'll be other... Um, options such as I previously mentioned to reduce prices and we're already seeing that in the market and um, last Monday um, with the news of GP can now prescribing uh, medicinal cannabis a bit like they loosened the regulation a Mm -hmm. little bit so what what's the new process going to be like if someone for example like a someone who's have chronic pain for long term they want to access quickly like is it easier now that's that's really exciting that that's happened because previously it's taken months for patients to access it they've had to go um to their gp uh, who supports medicinal cannabis they get uh, they need a referral to a specialist uh, they've then had to apply to the um 
um, federal government and the state government and it's taken we've seen patients take up to six months to a year to access it but now uh, we've already seen it flow a lot better patients can get a prescription from their GP uh, once again they need to have tried other treatment options and we've seen one of the latest patients he access it uh, within one or two days and this was a palliative care patient who um, who um, needs to access medicine in a hurry and they can't wait six months until they can get a point with their specialists. They need um, to be processed in a, a timely manner and it was, it was pretty um, cruel making these uh, elderly and chronically ill patients wait so long um, for something their doctor was writing a, a legitimate prescription for. Yeah, that's true. So is there any advice you'd give to GPs on how to tackle tricky patients, the ones that sort of want to come in just to get high or we get cool? I was, I was sceptical. I've not seen one patient try to access medicinal cannabis uh, to get high. And, and it's probably a pretty simple reason that uh, it's so easy to buy street cannabis, I'm told. I've never bought it. <laughs> um, but it's one of the cheapest recreational drugs to buy. Uh, mm. And it's a different formula. Mostly the formula formulas use for medicinal cannabis um, don't produce psychotropic effects. They might be... Um, low in THC or they might not have it in at all uh, and they're a lot more expensive because they're pharmaceutical grade whereas street quality cannabis is um, heavy in THC and uh, is designed to get patients high on um, and a recreational basis and that's not what medicinal cannabis is about that it still has THC in a lot of cases because that achieves some really good medi medicinal um, effects um, but when you're taking uh, medicine orally you're getting low doses over a period of time yeah um, the next question is I suppose a little bit more personal to yourself so as a director of the Health House International and also members of the research team of Medicinal Cannabis Research Australia. What, what sort of barrier that you have faced in your line of work since you're moving to this role? Um, I've not had anything, uh, apart from the, the occasional jokes, which uh, I've, I've, there's a lot of really great jokes in the yeah. cannabis industry about uh, smoke and mirrors and <laughs> a growing industry and uh, ending the night on a high, lots of the, those jokes. But uh, I've had uh, a lot of positive experiences. Uh, I've, I've travelled uh, globally and spoken about medicinal cannabis and I've been quite touched by some of the patients who have tried as a treatment option and uh, these are patients, as I said, the end-of-line patients and in some cases uh, for them and it's been life-changing and it's really exciting to see some of the global research that's going on um, and once again the areas that where patients have no other treatment options. Uh, there, there's some disease states that are being researched that there's um, there's, these patients have nothing else and medicinal cannabis in some cases might be um, an option for some of these patients. So it, it's a really exciting industry. Um, I've, I've had nothing in the way of, you know, bad stigma. I mean, if, if people think badly of it, I think once they understand the science behind it and the benefit it can bring uh, some patients... You know, I, I think they, they quickly changed their mind. We had some close friends that... Um, when they first found out that we were in this industry, they said, um, you know, you know, this is a, a drug that people, you know, 
you know turn crazy from but the more they've learned about it they've we've actually made made them turn turn the corner one of their relatives have actually accessed medicinal cannabis successfully um to treat their medical condition and they've, they've certainly gone from being the negative camper as was I. I i fully admit i started off as a complete skeptic that this was even medicine but um it's been nice seeing it, it turn the corner and particularly with health professionals um there's a lot of health professionals that are skeptical that this is medicine but i think once they realize the sky doesn't fall in at that there can be good patient benefit um from this i think they're, they're really and truly truly changed their tune and that, that's why education is so important i I love speaking about this to, and changing hearts and minds it's a really exciting industry that i've um i've really enjoyed myself and got to travel the world world and, and speak about cannabis yeah. <laughs> good perks so i know we don't have a magical crystal ball but what direction do you reckon medicinal cannabis is headed in in the future well i i think the, some of the research coming out uh, in the next few years is going to be really exciting. There's a number of really exciting projects taking here, taking place here in Western Australia. Um, I, I think you'll see a lot more of medicinal cannabis uh, in in pharmacies uh, as a treatment option, uh, alongside other traditional medicines. Some people have have. Uh, use the term that it's alternative medicine no I don't believe it is I think it is a mainstream medicine that has got good medical uses and it should be treated no different from any other pharmaceutical options and we've already seen all the patients accessing medicinal cannabis the very large majority are on a number of other medications so they do need to look at their medication chart quite closely to work out um, how that fits in there and it needs to be done by a medical professional in many cases but it, it's it's quite exciting um, Important to note, New Zealand's having public referendum uh, end of 2020 uh, on adult use medicinal cannabis. I think you'll see uh, the same thing happen in Australia probably in five or eight years' time. Uh, it may be for conclusion, but it may make patient access even easier than it is now. But over the next few years, I think some of the bureaucracy and regulations for cannabis will be going down, uh, and we're seeing a lot of change um, in as far as pharmaceutical opioids and codeine, which has recently been upscheduled from being available over the counter to um, uh, being prescription only, and I, I do predict that cannabis will be going, heading the other direction. Um, can you use medicinal cannabis in animal? Like, is there any research and evidence? Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think um, animals suffer from uh, chronic pain, and they, uh, like humans, that people. People living longer, um, their um, animals are, are the same. They need to reduce their pain relief, particularly some of the larger breeds of dogs who have you know, problems with their hips. Uh, currently, you can't use it in Australia for veterinary uses, but in the very near future, um, I think that's going to be reality. We're already seeing quite big evidence of, of being used quite widely um, in pets overseas, and the pets are, are not getting higher. They're using a mainly CBD product. Uh, they're getting good... Um, pain relief um it, it's quite a big market i think you'll see a lot more of that as well um the next question is from our point of view sort of thing so as a pharmacist like at the moment we beside dispensing the medicinal cannabis and supply it to the patient will our role be expanding in the futures in this playing field definitely yeah it's it's a great niche market um 
important to note when they first legalized medicinal cannabis in Canada in 2001, they offered uh, the dispensing of medicinal cannabis to pharmacies and they said, no, we don't want any part of patients getting high. We don't want those patients in our pharmacy. Uh, they've been kicking themselves ever since. It's grown to over 400,000 medical cannabis patients in the Canadian market. And you've got big companies uh, like Shoppers Drug Mart in Canada looking at rolling out a cannabis platform only now. Um, and Canada have just legalised for adult use um, last year. And it's a potentially big market, and it's important some of these patients with chronic illnesses that are managed by their, their pharmacists and their health professionals. I, I definitely think that it's a great niche market, and it ties in very well with all the other medicines we do, particularly um, chronic pain medication, and we do see a lot of patients. Um, opioids are great for acute pain, but for chronic long-term pain, uh, they can produce addiction. Over 90% of patients using uh, pharmaceutical opioids have a problem with constipation, which is an ideal. And um, from the statistics, there is a bit of a problem with overdose and uh, they're what I call preventable deaths. Yeah. All right. Well, that's pretty much it from our end. Was there anything else you wanted to add for our viewers? I think we've covered a whole lot. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I can talk, talk about... Uh, uh, just Actually, one thing I'd like to add is cannabis and driving. Oh. Uh, it comes up time and time again that patients uh, on medication ask, well, yeah, can I have cannabis and drive? Well, the, the golden rule is if you're impaired, you shouldn't, shouldn't drive. But most of the formulations patients are taking uh, are CBD heavy. They've got no or very little C THC in. Um, and patients are taking what we call microdoses. So they're not impaired at all. Uh, in some cases, they've been asked to sign up some documentation saying they won't drive at all. And, and most um, these patients, they rely on their car. So it is a bit of an issue. I don't think we're there in testing. Um, THC which the tests are picking up can stay in your system for up to two months. And um, mostly they're designed to stop people, obviously, um, high from, from uh, street quality cannabis driving. So I think we really need to look at the testing a bit closer. Um, we've got six states in Australia. Each of them have got a different uh, way of testing. But the, the general rule is if patients are impaired from using cannabis, they should abstain up to six hours before they get behind the wheel. Alrighty. Well, that's pretty much in a capsule, would you say? A pretty large capsule, larger than <laughs> average. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, hopefully uh, the future of medicinal cannabis will get bigger and bigger. And yeah. Yeah. See a lot more of it. Yeah. And hopefully we'll get you back on the show at some stage. It's a growing right. industry. Boom, boom. <laughs> boom, boom. <Thank> you. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for tuning in for this week's episode. Um, if you have any question, again, please feel free to uh, email us at breakingthecapsule at gmail.com and leave us a review on iTunes as well. And we'll see you guys next week. See you then. Bye. All of the information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have any questions, please see your healthcare professional.